Get Lit. Welcome to Get Lit, the literary podcast where we explore famous works of literature and the authors who wrote them. I'm your host, Steph Svars, here with my dearest companion. Oh, thanks, Stephanie. John Stricker. I was talking about Pokey, but oh. you'll do. That was a reality check. <laughs> I flew too close to the sun. <laughs> Just kidding. My dearest companion, Pokey, and my friend, John. Thank you, Stephanie. My dearest friend, also John. Um, So we have a couple of very exciting new announcements this week for you guys. Um, The first being that we've put out some information about Get Lit Live 2, and we've had some really amazing positive response, which is phenomenal. Um, So we're actually getting a bigger space this time. Not that my apartment wasn't wonderfully adequate, but... um, People just couldn't move, so yes, it was a little crowded. So, <laughs> but it was very pretty. It, it was, was aesthetically suitable. Wonderful. We're um, moving up in the world, though. but we're moving up. We so have a space. We have a. We're getting um, information about spaces and that kind of thing. So again, we've got a lot of room that we can accommodate people for. So feel free if you have friends that you want to uh, bring to this, or if you have enemies that you want to drag and torture them with. Yes, we're happy to take any of the above. For sure. Um, so that, again, date is November 3rd, a Sunday. So keep that on your calendars. Um, additionally, we had uh, some fun dialogues this week with um, a couple different people on our social media channels. So we'd love to give a shout out to um, Buffy Noel, who is a blogger, and she blogs about instructional design and e-learning. Uh, and she has been recently very into Flannery O'Connor um, and listened to our podcast episode and gave us a shout out on her Instagram page. Um, so we'd love to return the favor and give her blog a shout out on our podcast. Um, so thank you for your support with that. Um, I think the last and um, new exciting thing to drop uh, this week is that Get Lit is going back on tour. Back on tour. That's right. Um, We are headed this time in November, in mid-November, to um, Iowa City, Iowa, home of the famed Iowa Writers' Workshop. Speaking of Flannery O'Connor. Very cool. And that was a good transition. Yes. A plus. Thank you. Um, So we will be headed to kind of explore the Iowa Writers' Workshop and the legacy that um, it has had on all of the authors that we've been studying. So that would include Flannery O'Connor. Um, Tennessee Williams has been loosely connected. Kurt Vonnegut was a teacher there. Uh, oh, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I should have known that. You knew that. I knew that. You knew that. Um, Susan Glassbell. So we have all kinds of interesting connections. Um, and I am also very excited to be making a stop uh, to Prairie Lights Bookstore, which is an extraordinary bookstore um, in Iowa City. So for those of you in that area, if you haven't been, we would highly recommend you go. And for those of you worried about Stephanie's book consumption, I'll be there to monitor her. So everything will be under control. I'm going to pay him off and like send him to a bar. <laughs> While I go to the bookstore, and then I can spend all the money I want. <laughs> um, I'll probably only... Don't even make a promise. Okay. <laughs> Anywho, so we're going back on tour, so feel free, uh, we'll, we'll update you more on that, but we're looking forward to getting back on the road again, and uh, recording some new episodes uh, out there. I'm, I'm excited to kind of explore uh, our Midwestern author history. It's, I think, one of the things that we've noticed a correlation in. So it'll be kind of fun to go ahead and, and explore something that, for John and I at least, is so close to home. For sure. 
um, three hours and 20 minutes to be precise. <laughs> so um, what we're actually doing this week on the podcast is going very far from home. Uh, we're actually jumping across the pond and back in time um, to England to explore uh, one of our most famous romantic writers and Brits of the century, Jane Austen. Jane Austen was born on December 16th, 1775, making her a Sagittarius. Um, one of my very dear friends um, who I used to teach with named Zaya is a Sagittarius, and I feel like he would be very proud to be in um, leagues with Jane Austen. So I'll be sure to inform him of that. Um, 1775 is the year in the United States where the Declaration was signed? Or was that six? That was yeah. six, 1776. So this is when the Declaration of Independence was likely in talks. Nope. Probably. Okay. <laughs> well, fine. You connect a fact. I, well, it's one year before. That's it. That's enough. That's the connection. Nothing happened that year. In 1775? I mean, I think that that was the Stamp Act. Never mind. Okay, um, so she's born in Steventon, Hampshire, England, which is very south. Can you say that once more for me? Steventon. <laughs> Steventon, Hampshire. No, it's like Steventon, oh. comma, Hampshire. Oh, because it's like a, a city or City town. in like a state. I really don't know how English geography like, I understand how geography works, but the way that they refer to towns in England, I don't get it. Because every time we do it, it's like, born in Stratford-upon-Avon in Hampshire, England, you know, or something like yeah. that. Like it, But there are no states. So it's like you're born in a city, but then you're also known, like, you know the province. I think it's the size, honestly. <clears throat> like Hampshire. I have no idea. I actually have no idea. I don't know why. <laughs> Anywho, if anyone would like to clarify the way that you describe English cities, we would really appreciate that. Yes. Um, although that was probably amusing to those of you who know how it works. So um, Jane is the seventh child and oh. second daughter of Cassandra and George Austen. Um, in order of oldest to youngest, her siblings are as follows. James, George, Edward, Henry, Cassandra... Francis, Jane, and then Charles comes along last. Um, so literally all very classic English, English names. names. Yeah. Um, probably all named after royalty. Um, was there a King Francis? I guess that's the only one I'm... A Queen Cassandra? Well, yeah, but like Henry, James, George, Edward, Charles are all names yes. of kings. But kings. Francis, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. Um... So her father serves as uh, the rector of an Anglican parish, um, and that's basically like a guy who runs the parish. Um, he has been educated at Oxford, and as a result, the whole family, all the kids grew up in an environment uh, where they were encouraged to learn and to think creatively. Her father collected books and had a library that Jane spent a lot of her time in. Um, and the kids put on plays together and did different, you know, fun activities as a group. So from what I understand, they were a really, really tight-knit family, which is kind of funny. Like a little, like, Von Trapp family, but it's like Jane Austen's family doing plays. That's cool. Um, 
So Jane uh, becomes very close with her father and older sister. Um, her father is one who encourages her to get an education and to learn, which was very uncommon at the time. Um, and then obviously her older sister. Um, they're only about two years apart, so they're, they're pretty close in age. Um, and the only two girls in the family besides their mom. So Jane and Cassandra are sent to a boarding school. Um, to get a more formal education. But <laughs> during this time, this is kind of unfortunate. Jane Austen isn't known as being a particularly healthy person. She dies pretty young. Mm. But uh, when she first goes off to boarding school, she and her sister catch typhus, and Jane almost dies. Oh so that kind of, I would imagine, had a pretty big impact on her health throughout her life. Um, but that's kind of the way that she's raised. So um, her family then, unfortunately, doesn't have the financial means to support the money. So Cassandra and Jane wind up returning home and then they live with the family and their dad continues their education and their aunt helps out a little bit with that as well. So they can still get an education. It's just not as a formal boarding school experience. Um, so in the 1790s, she actually starts to write. So she's very young at this point. You know, she's a teenager and um, she writes her own novels. She writes um, a text called Love and Friendship, which is a parody of romantic fiction, but it's organized as an epistolary novel, which is a novel written through letters. Um, so there is a fun trivia fact, students. If you're listening to this, an epistolary novel um, was a very popular form, and there's uh, lots of books that are written in that way. Today there is, too. There's, like, a like letters from the fountain. Yeah, that's a, it's a, so that was a, one of my favorite children's chapter books growing up. Right. Um, letters from, or no, it's called Regarding the Fountain. Mm. And there's another one called Letters from Camp, I think. They're both, there's, like, a series they're very funny they're hilarious but I love more them. so it just shows that it's a it's a genre or a way of writing that's still continuing mm -hmm. today yeah um <laughs> at least <laughs> continuing today in that like 15 20 years ago when we were reading them as youths um john and i as you guys both know have had birthdays recently and are just feeling particularly old so people who are older than us feel free to snicker people who are younger than us feel free to be appalled it gets better sometimes no <laughs> it does it does um it gets better you get to pay your own bills That's right. you get to make your own doctor's appointments uh -huh. um no one cares if you eat a cookie at 10 o'clock at night you know what i was thinking about like just today it was no one really talks through about how to make the decision on what toilet paper to buy there's so many options I can't even justify that with an insult. All right. So we all struggle with different things, dear listeners. <laughs> if you have recommendations for John's predicament, please reach out to him personally. I mean, I look at the... So here's the thing. At no. Jewels, they break things down into, like, different quantities. And so in the toilet paper section, there's some that go to per roll, and then some go per hundred square feet of toilet paper. How am I... Like, it's like 300 square feet per toilet paper. I've never noticed, nor do I care. How do you make an educated decision based on the unit prices? I just buy the same kind that my mom buys. See? No one taught us. It's just like, it's how did they arrive at that conclusion? So I guess I'll put in high school teachers. We should apparently amend our curriculum to include intense debates, such as purchasing toilet paper by unit price. Thank you. Anywho, 
let's get back to Jane Austen (laughs) and her epistolary early works. So meanwhile, John is 27 years old, still trying to figure out what kind of toilet paper he should buy. And Jane Austen at 15 is writing novels. I've just been going without since I moved out. We can get help for that. (laughs) So um, she writes this parody, uh, this love and friendship. um, And it really demonstrates um, not only her wit, but also her dislike of romantic hysteria, uh, which I think is really funny because people tend to classify Jane Austen as a romantic writer. Um, you know, if you Googled romantic writers or, you know, famous romantic writers, she pops up because Pride and Prejudice and Sense and Sensibility are what we may consider or acknowledge as really classic romantic text. But it's clear that her early work kind of demonstrates the fun she pokes at these, which I think is really cool. And I'd honestly say that by the time we're done with this, people won't think of her as strictly a romantic author either. Mm-hmm. Well, I hope um, they can kind of consider her, you know, I think we also in the in the literary field typically classify romantic novels as like lesser books for mm. whatever reason. But, you know, it's like pulp fiction. It's kind of these like trashy novels, whatever you want to call them. So obviously, I don't believe that that's true. I think people should be able to read and write whatever they want. Um, but I think in the in the writing and novel community, um, romantic writing isn't necessarily considered the pinnacle of capital L literature. So but Jane Austen kind of, I think, demonstrates that because she is incredibly witty. She's incredibly funny. Her novels have really beautiful structure, deeply developed characters, it's and they're romantic. Female characters yes. too. There's this undercurrent that is not just the swooning maiden. Yeah, no, we don't have time for that. Oh. <laughs> Literally, like there is no time for the swooning maiden. Oh, for sure. Got yeah. it. Oh, I got it. Yes. So the next year, um, she writes The History of England, which is a parody of historical writing. Um, And her sister actually illustrates it. So that's really fun, I think, that she and her sister worked on this project. Um, And so these notebooks that have these texts in them um, have been published as juvenilia, um, which I thought was sort of interesting, things that she wrote as a a young girl. her early adulthood, so her late teens, early 20s, um, Jane does what many middle upper class women in England do. And she helps run the home. She plays piano. She goes to church. She socializes with the neighbors. Um, a couple fun facts as I was doing this research that I found. So during Jane's time, beer is the drink of choice because it's cleaner and safer than water. Right. Um, which is like, I would hate that. Yeah, <laughs> would be would so just, miserable. Be um, I just drink water anyway. Um, so Jane actually brewed her own beer and her specialty was spruce beer. That's which, awesome. Like, I'd try that. Yes. That's very cool. A wintry green aftertaste. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I don't even know what that would taste like. Yeah, I don't either. But regardless, um... So she attends cotillions and becomes an accomplished dancer. Those cotillions is sort of like a social event hosted by a community to demonstrate that a young woman was ready to be matched with a gentleman. Um, sometimes she would read her novels or the ones that she was working on um, or just novels from the family shelf to her family and they would do those kind of entertaining things so very much like this traditional English upbringing way of life um, but obviously acknowledging that her family 
although wasn't, you know, insanely wealthy, had the financial wherewithal to make all of those things possible. And, and traditional, but still, like, mm-hmm. uh, self-aware enough to be able to write these, like, biting satires, right? Oh, yeah. 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 I think acknowledging that <laughs> um, staying home, playing the piano, attending church, etc., cetera, et cetera, um, aren't the everything of life, which is fine. Um, so people may know, you know, I feel like people know a lot about around Jane Austen because of the fame of her work. So um, there's a film called Becoming Jane that stars Anne Hathaway um, as Jane Austen, and it covers uh, her relationship with a man named Tom Lefroy. And so it feels important at this point in time, in her timeline, to kind of address that. So um, from 1795 to about 1796, um, Jane meets this young Irishman named Tom Lefroy, um, whose aunt lives in Hampshire, where Jane is from. So Tom and Jane meet. Tom is on a break from he was studying to be a lawyer um, at Lincoln's Inn in London. And they meet in their social circles. And so this film documents their relationship kind of in a, in a very elaborate, dramatic sense. And it did exist, but maybe not to the extent of the film. Although I think I'll be the first person to be like, well, I just wish it did. <laughs> <laughs> I love a, a good romantic story. So um, she does have this sort of like romantic moment with this guy named Tom. He eventually, though... Um, does leave his aunt realizes that they have this relationship and she's like you can't marry below your your standing in society so she ships says that i'm sorry tom's aunt tom's aunt says that to him yeah you can't marry her because she's below us so you go back to london and continue studying he will eventually marry and then become like really high up in the legal system like very important irish guy um, so that's kind of cool. But they don't get married. Um, Jane writes a lot of letters back and forth um, between her and Cassandra that sort of document this. That's how we have the evidence that she did have this relationship, um, although it didn't wind up panning out in maybe the way she had hoped. Mm. Um, additionally, after this time, she continues to write uh, longer and more ambitious works, one of which is called Lady Susan, which is a- another epistolary novel Um, about a manipulative woman uh, who uses her sexuality, intelligence, and her charm to get what she wants, which I think is kind of fun. Um, She also writes um, a text called Eleanor and Marianne, which originally is told as a series of letters, but gets published as Sense and Sensibility. So another fun trivia fact for you, Eleanor and Marianne is the original title of Sense and Sensibility. Um, most of her novels, actually, that we know were originally called something else, which I think is kind of strange um, that we have all these documented understandings of her novels that way. Um, but they were all called something before the famous iconic title that we have them by now. But I can't decide if Eleanor and Marianne or Sense and Sensibility is more catchy. Sense and Sensibility all the way. Is it because it's alliterative? Yes. Okay. And because it it pokes to the moral rather than just the name of the characters. I guess. Anywho, um, there's a like young adult novel called Eleanor in Park, so maybe that's why I'm like, I could see it having worked. Um, so I also, during this research, was reading about the way that Jane edited her manuscripts. Um, there, were, there was a method that was pretty popular throughout the 17th century and 18th century um, that involved people using straight pins. 
So a straight pin was literally like a pin. Um, and Jane would take novels that she was writing and pin them up and then rearrange the texts. So like she'd take a paragraph from here and then pin it in a different place. Um, so I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, she would put new pages over the things that she wanted to rewrite and then rewrite them. And, you know, we're working before the time of typewriters and even so everything was written by hand. I thought that was kind of a cool way uh, to think about the writing process. Yeah, that's really neat. Um, she writes a, a draft called First Impressions, which later becomes Pride and Prejudice. Um, and that makes her, sense, though. Yeah, I agree. I think... I think Pride and Prejudice is, again, more catchy than First Impressions. But they're both, I think, really good titles mm -hmm. for the work. Yes, appropriate and fitting. Um, and the one that I mentioned, uh, she, she will publish then, again, another book called Susan, which becomes Northanger Abbey. So um, her brother, um, Henry, publishes both of these after her death. Mm. So... I think another thing too important to acknowledge is that Jane actually only, I think, published two novels during her lifetime. She'll publish six total, but four of them don't get published until after she dies. Mm -hmm. And it's really because of her brother Henry that those wind up getting published. Um, in 1801, Jane moves to Bath um, with her parents and Cassandra. Her brothers are all off having their various careers and things like that. But since um, Cassandra and Jane are not married, they stay with their parents. Um, while she's in Bath, she does receive a proposal of marriage from a, <laughs> from a guy named Harris Big Wither. That's hyphenated. Big Wither, by the way. B-I-G-G-W-I-T-H-E-R. Big Wither. Right? Yeah, I, I like can't. That's so I hate that. <laughs> um, so the Austin, she, she initially accepts the proposal, uh, but the next day realizes that she doesn't actually love him. She was just doing it because he was financially stable. Oh. And she was like, oh, well, maybe this could be a way for me to kind of secure comfort for my family. Um, but then the next day she's like, actually, I, I'm sorry, I can't do this. Um, so Jane will never get married, but she did get this this marriage proposal. Um, her sister, actually, and I'm remembering this, um, has a fiancé, but he actually winds up dying, I'm pretty sure, fighting in the military. So I'm, I think neither of her sisters actually wind up, sorry, Jane or her sister wind up getting married. Um, in 1805, there's a big blow to Jane's family. Her father dies pretty suddenly. Um, and as a result, her her financial situation is really, really strapped. Um, she, her mom and her sister move from different place to different place. They're renting flats. But finally, in 1809, so that's four years of like living in a really tumultuous situation. Mm -hmm. um, uh, Jane's brother, Edward, has a cottage in Chawton. Uh, and so they stay and settle with him. And this time actually proves to be her most productive period. Um, she's in her 30s at this point, and this is where she starts publishing those two works. Um, so from 1811 to 1816, she publishes under pseudonym Sense and Sensibility, um, which originally carried the byline of a lady. <laughs> um, because it wasn't, she wouldn't publish under her actual name. It was frowned upon that women would be writers interesting is it Wait, not okay 
if it's frowned upon for women to be writers, and she mm-hmm. still has her pseudonym as a lady, mm-hmm. but still carries with it that negative connotation. Right, but it wasn't tied directly to her. I see. Yes. Um, later bylines would include things like, by the author of Sense and Sensibility. <laughs> Wait, Sense and Sensibility by the author of Sense and Sensibility? No, 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 no. Like other, like, so Pride and Prejudice oh, was it. published later with, by the author of Sense and Sensibility. I understand. I think yeah. it's better the other way, though. <laughs> <laughs> Anywho. Um, so... During her time while she's alive, she does get some accolades. However, um, it really isn't until after her death that her brother Henry reveals that, oh, Jane Austen is the author of these works, that she really gets famous. So while the books do fine on their own, it's not until after that people start to associate them with Jane Austen. Um, She unfortunately starts to get sick around this time. Um, She is not technically diagnosed with anything like technically people think she died of Addison's disease and there's another theory that she was poisoned like her what like not someone poisoned her but like she drank from like a poisoned water source um but during this time where she starts to get sick um this is in the early 18 teens uh she continues to try to work she edits her older work she starts another one um and uh, her brother and sister, Henry, the one that helps her publish, bring her to Winchester to get treated. Um, but she's really not doing well. Her health really starts to decline. And then in 1816, she dies. Um, she's 41, and I mentioned they thought she might be have Addison's disease, and I had no idea what that was, so I looked it up. Um, it's an adrenal insuff- insufficiency um, which causes the body to not produce enough hormones, which throws your body system out of whack and can actually result in death, mm. as it's thought to have done with Jane's. Um, her brother arranges for her to be buried in the north aisle of a nave at Winchester Cathedral, um, which I looked up as well. And there's just a lot of like very ancient, significant figures. There's like a saint is buried there, a bunch of like royalty and or like high ups in the government, it seems, are buried there. Like there were some that dated all the way back to like 1090, you know, the 1090s and that kind of thing. And I was like, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and then her, you know, so that kind of ends her her work. But her brother continues to have her work get published, including Persuasion um, gets published after her death. And so we understand, although her life was technically very short, um, her legacy continues to live on. There's lots of films and things like that that have adaptations. I mean, I don't think there's a... Pride and Prejudice has been remade several times. Um, Personally, I'm very partial to the Kira Knightley version, but I'm totally happy with... um, the original with Kate Winslet, I think it is. And obviously, Clueless is an adaptation of Emma. Um, there have been many other miniseries and things like that based off of her, along with the movie Becoming Jane based off of her own life. Um, and so there's plenty of people who continue wanting to maintain Jane Austen's legacy uh, into, you know, our time and beyond. So I, I think that she had a really cool life. She was very clever and very witty. And I hope people understand her as more than just a quote-unquote romantic author um, and understand sort of the rich vivacity with which she lived her life because of this. So, 
Right. Yeah. Um, so thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Hopefully this was kind of a fun digression from our tradition of American literature. Uh, but feel free to share. Uh, we very much appreciate your comments, your feedback, and your ideas. And we look forward to bringing you more in the future and having more with you. So thank you for your support. Um, and as always, thank you for keeping it lit. <laughs>